you want to give love to the city, that's a fact. But you're going to need help if you want to make an impact. Well endowed, you want to be well endowed with the Edmonton community. Things really happen when you find that you're well endowed. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Well Endowed podcast. I'm Elizabeth Longkink. And I'm Andrew Paul. This podcast is brought to you by Edmonton Community Foundation, and we are a proud affiliate member of the Alberta Podcast Network. Edmonton is full of generous donors who've created endowment funds at ECF. These funds generate money to support charities in Edmonton and beyond. On this podcast, we share stories about how these funds help strengthen our community, because it's good to be well endowed. On this episode, we head out to Pipestone Creek to see about some goats. Pipestone Creek is one of the conservation lands stewarded by Edmonton and Area Land Trust, or ELT for short. We featured them on our show in previous episodes. Like when we met Vegreville's Lorax, I mean Kevin Stewart, back on episode 52. He had created a fund for EALT to support stewardship costs of protecting two land sites. Yeah, he's a very cool person, and EALT is a very cool organization. They focus on land conservation in Edmonton and the surrounding area. To date, they have secured 12 natural lands. That means EALT owns the land and protects it in perpetuity. So, forever. And many of these lands are available for public use, like Pipestone Creek. Pipestone Creek is located in Wetaskiwin County, about 80 kilometers from central Edmonton. It boasts a variety of wildlife, including the great blue heron, hermit thrush, and many songbirds and small mammals. But we weren't there for the songbirds. We were there for the goats. What were the goats doing there? Working! Turns out goats are great at land conservation. EALT hired a herd called BAD. Wait, that's not how you say it. Here's how it should sound. BAD, plant management and reclamation. That was Jeanette Hall. She's owner of BAD. I got to meet her and her goats at Pipestone Creek to find out how goats are helping EALT take care of their lands. It was a beautiful day with big blue sky, warm sun, and tall grass that we waded through as we followed the herd. Let's take a listen. So tell us about the goat program. So today we're out here with the Edmonton Land Trust at the Pipestone Creek Conservation Land. And uh, a couple of different things are happening out here with our herd. So there's a number of weeds we've gone after, um, in particular Canadian thistle, toad flax, tansy and leafy spurge are the ones that I've identified as um, primary targets. So the goats have been out here for over a week now. And they've done a great job stripping down the Canadian thistle and the tansy and the toad flax. So the goats are working hard, eating problem weeds and trampling fescue grass. The goats aren't out there alone. They've got their modern shepherds like Jeanette, herding dogs and guardian dogs to keep them safe as we graze. We're about to meet them. So right now we're sitting on top of a fescue site. So what happens with uh, native fescue grass is it's developed over the years to be trampled on with bison and to periodically get burnt. This is Fuzzy Bear. He's one of our guardian dogs. Hi, Fuzzy. Hi, buddy. Oh, yeah. So his job is to come and alert us that someone's in the field and he's going to check you out and make sure you're not not a hazard. So yeah, part of what happens with fescue is fescue will choke itself out and it'll also choke out other native plants. So it's important. Here comes Gunner. (laughs) And the second player enters the game. (laughs) Lie down, Gunner. Good boy. Gunner's a Kelpie dog. He's a dog and um, so he kind of just ran over to us to see what we're up to too and we're just gonna approach my husband Dan here who's with our other dog Tuffy Love so we've got the herding dogs and then we've got the guardian dogs and there's there's about six guardian dogs and they take shifts there's day shift and night shift 
And the reason we're doing that is because we have um, a very high bear population and cougar population in a lot of the places we go. Or we might be in a place where theft, goat theft could actually be um, a risk, a hazard. So having the guardian dogs on site um, is, is they're worth their weight in gold <laughs> because they make sure that we're all safe. Once the guardian dogs checked us out, they decided to join us for a chat. You'll hear them getting pets and treats while Jeanette continues to tell us about the goats and the fescue grass. <laughs> so the fescue grass gets trampled down and, um, and then we can, we can A, reduce the fire hazard and B, help native plants come back here. Um, in addition to that, when you trample down the fescue like that, you help a lot of the bacteria in the soil. We are helping the native plants germinate because when you get such a thick thatch, or we call it litter, of the dead grasses building up, it actually keeps the soil very cool in the spring and then it prevents the native grasses, or native flowers, sorry, from germinating. Um, so <laughs> when you had said that you, you were targeting this because they are not native and they are well, the fescue grasses are native, but a lot of the other weeds are not native and they are invasive. And under the Alberta Weed Control Act, they have to be managed um, okay. in Alberta. Yeah, and if it, it's not managed, then this could spread. Yeah, it could spread. And, and with a conservation area like this already, we've already got enough threats on pristine conservation land from agriculture and industry um, and, ha and habitat loss. And that way, the, the other main contributing factor to habitat loss is invasive species. There are nearly 500 goats in Jeanette's herd. And when we first arrived, they were engaging in a very important part of their work, lounging. They were all just ruminating and chewing their cud. So they do have to take breaks periodically throughout the day. So they don't just get to eat all day long. <laughs> <laughs> we try to encourage them, but a, a big part of their digestive process um, is that rumination. And having that rumination actually makes sure that they're destroying seeds. So if they are... Um, out. <laughs> yeah, if they are spreading them, we're not actually spreading it throughout the park. Uh, or the conservation area, the goat's digestive system has some really great bacteria and enzymes in there that help to destroy the viability of the seed. So even if the seed does come out, they're not gonna uh, be spreading it. The other thing about what we're doing is we're coming at, we usually try to come at least three times. And the reason we do that is we're always setting back the weed and we're keeping it in what's called a reproductive response. So it's still always trying to produce seed. It's wasting its energy doing that. And then what ends up happening is uh, even if in the fall there is a seed, it's usually not viable because it just hasn't had a chance to fully develop. So uh, do you train them to do to, to <laughs> yeah. like certain weeds? Like is, is, a lot of people so don't believe me. They're like, what do you mean they're trained? And I'm like, they are really honest to gosh trained. Um, it's really about, you can train any livestock to eat weeds. You can, you know, I've done it with cattle. Um, the, the interesting thing about goats is they're very suggestive, so it's really easy to get them to try a new weed. Okay. And then, um, like all, all of these grazing species, it's the mums that actually teach their kids. So once you get adult goats targeting and going specifically after weeds and preferring weeds to the native plants, they're going to teach that to the next generation. And then we can start to influence the priorities or the preference that the goats have on certain weeds. So one generation might prefer leafy spurge to thistle where another one might prefer thistle to leafy spurge and that sort of thing. And then that way we're customizing it for our job sites because you do have to come back for a few years and you have to have some this repetitive pressure in order to, um, to be successful on the weeds and have a high efficacy. 
this is kind of a crazy question, but where did these weeds come from? Were they introduced by, <laughs> by people who actually wanted to grow these Well, historic, well, are we talking about in Alberta or on this particular site? <laughs> well, I, um, well, let's talk about in Alberta because okay. I'm assuming it spread through the wind or whatever to this site. So coming into, um, a lot of our imports are what bringing um, a lot of weeds into Canada, um, but also migratory birds will oftentimes carry weeds in um, and gardeners, a lot of people might bring in some plants thinking, oh, won't this look beautiful in my garden? And then um, it will reproduce and yeah. then spread. So a lot of the time we're finding what are called ornamentals. So oxide daisy is a good example of that. Leafy spurge, tansy. Those are all ornamental plants from someone's garden that kind of escaped. Wait, uh, toad flax is another one that did that. <laughs> um, but what's happened particularly on this site is it historically was um, slated to be a gravel pit. So oh, okay. the land had been cleared. And anytime you have any kind of disturbance, you're going to see an introduction of weeds. There was, I think, from my opinion, if I were to look on the history, some, re some responsible grazing going on here with cattle at one time. Um, and I can tell it was responsible at the way the aspen parkland trees have come back. There was um, a, a great... Um, seed bank of native plants under there and those the understory is so healthy it's actually been able to compete out a lot of invasive weeds all on its own without additional help from people. Here's where using biological methods of weed control like goats gets really cool. With new trees just starting out and native vegetation making a comeback it's important not to cause harm to that new vegetation while removing the problem weeds unique about how the goats are working is we have a lot of small trees, little fragile saplings um, that have been planted and the goats are not really hurting them. They're working around those saplings and they've really brought down the thistle and have stripped it right down to just stems um, and they've really chewed back a lot of the grass and so it'll be really nice now to see that the little saplings have a better chance at harvesting sunlight. How long have you had your herd? Since 2015 and before that they were working as again as a target browsing herd and they were originally put together by the Alberta government. They were trying to do a pilot to figure out if a different breed of goat was better at weed control. And so what was interesting is they had gone and in the early millennium collected a bunch of animals from registered breeders in Alberta. Um, so it's neat to pull the tattoos and and kind of see you know the, the, the lineage and yeah some of these goats are pushing 20 years old. Yeah. <laughs> What's the lifespan of a goat? About 20, I think 26 is the, the longest that they could live. But um, what's, what's unique for us is that it's the older goats that are teaching the younger goats, right? So you're, you're keeping that, that knowledge. So does this feed your goat herd? Like, is this like almost free food? I try to explain to people because they think, oh gosh, this is such a great way to feed goats. And I try to explain, it's actually a really stupid way to feed goats. <laughs> There's a lot of risk and liability. Um, and stress that your livestock go through when they aren't conditioned to this kind of thing. And for the transport costs to bring a goat in, um, especially because we are grazing sometimes less than 24 hours, um, never more than two weeks, for the transport to haul in for 14 days worth of food, I could easily bring in like 48 days worth of feed on the same transport truck. So right. it's it's cheaper actually to stay at home right. um, than it is to do what we're doing. but. We don't look at this from an agriculture perspective. We look at this from an environmental perspective. Right. Um, and so me having my environmental background the way that I did, that's why I wanted to get into this. What schooling did you do to um, have a career with goats? So I, I had actually started uh, working for Alberta Parks 
was an environment was kind of where I first got into this. And then I went back and I did state environmental technology program. Okay. And I, you know, I had dabbled around at Mount Royal and, and stuff with that, but I found the state program and having the expertise as a technician, you're not just relying on theory the way a lot of engineering is. You're actually like getting the data, you're doing the soil, you're doing the weather monitoring. Like you have all of that insight to know your intrinsic errors with your data. And then you can you can make really informed decisions and it 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 cuts out so much wasted time and error and I can be super and that's what I credit being really efficient on our job sites too. This was cool to hear about because what I had seen on this walk was a herd of goats move from lounging on a shaded hill to graze through the grass, bleeding to each other and um, fertilizing. But what Jeanette had been watching was a carefully planned conservation effort for managing problem weeds and protecting saplings to the state of the tall grass, the fescue. So they had gotten up from their little nap. They were all hanging out under the shade of the tree. You can see where they've laid down and kind yeah. of <laughs> patted down the fescue, um, which is good. And then what happens when they stand up is they, they fertilize. So we do encourage them to lay down and ruminate in the field, especially where we're finding um, a nutrient deficiency in the in the area so that's great they help us fertilize and right now they've gone through and they've taken off all of the really good stuff and they're on the hunt for what's left of the good stuff before they move into this so this is called buckbrush and the most they can they want to eat this stuff is um it's a this time of year about three days before they just get sick and tired of it it's kind of a waxy leaf um and then in the fall they tend to go after it a little bit harder um uh, which is good, but buckbrush, when you start seeing buckbrush encroaching on grassland areas like that, it's usually a sign that your thatch is too thick. I asked Jeanette to explain further. What is thatch and what happens if it's too thick? If you can imagine um, grass growing and it, you know, at times it can get to like half a meter, some grasses, some grass species will get to almost a meter and a half. And as that grass dies, it just kind of gently folds over itself. And you get this layering and a very air, there's a lot of air, it's not packed down. What happens with that is it becomes a fuel load. First, it can easily catch on fire as it dies over the years. Um, but it's not really breaking down and feeding the soil. And so we call that thatch. And based on its compaction is also gonna affect how quickly it will break down um, and feed the soil and the bacteria again. So. It also then creates this really dense matted layer where new grass and new plants can't grow through it. So when I measure it, I wiggle my fingers down in the, the light, fluffy, non-compacted stuff and I'll get a measurement of how deep that thatch is. And then once it gets trampled and compacted, we'll measure it again. Um, and then you can come back the next year and see how much that compacted stuff is actually decomposed over the year and, and what the soil moisture is doing and what the soil temperature is doing. It's all gonna be, it's all gonna be affected by that thatch. Like even if I dig down into that, you know, that's almost five or six inches from here to here and the ground is still cold. Like right. when I touch the soil right now, it's still actually really cold. Um, and it's like pushing almost plus 28 today. It's pretty 26. warm today. <laughs> I asked Jeanette to tell us about what she likes most about her work. Even the other night I was getting teary eyed sitting out here. Like, it's not like, there's where I end and nature begins. I just feel like, and not just connected, I feel a oneness. Like I'm so vulnerable to the elements and what nature's doing around me. Um, it brings a lot of peace and oneness. 
After spending such a wonderful afternoon with Jeanette and the herd at Pipestone Creek, I wanted to connect with Rebecca. I'm Rebecca Ellis. I'm a conservation manager at the Edmonton and Area Land Trust. Edmonton and Area Land Trust are the stewards of Pipestone Creek. Rebecca told me about why they decided to try goats. Um, well, goats have been used as a method of weed control by several landowners and municipalities for a fair number of years. And it's something that we'd wanted to try on our conservation lands for a while. And um, we were successful in receiving a grant from TD Friends of the Environment Foundation to try it out this year. So we sent them out to our Pipestone Creek conservation lands so that they could eat the weeds for us, so that this would be a method of uh, targeted weed control. Why is it important to control the weeds? For one, we are... Uh, required to. Um, the weeds that they were targeting, many of them are noxious or prohibited noxious weeds in the Alberta Weed Control Act. So we, as a landowner, are obligated to control them just as any landowner would be. So that's the reason. And then the other reason is that um, invasive plants can choke out native plants. And native plants are important for wildlife because that's the habitat that they actually need. Not a lot of wildlife would love to sit and eat these invasive plants. And in fact, some of them are toxic to wildlife. And goats are uh, especially amazing because, for example, one of the, the very common weeds that we have at Pipestone Creek and, and elsewhere is called common tansy. And that one um, has a bit of a milky latex that is toxic to cattle, for example, but goats love it. So goats are really good at eating the stuff that we don't want. Jeanette was talking about the rumination and, and uh, that the way they are able to digest the seeds means that they're not going to be propagated again, which is very interesting. Right. And Invasive plants are one of the leading causes of loss of biodiversity. Um, and so it's not just that they're not nice to look at or that they kind of take over. It's, it's that this is a part of a bigger worldwide picture, in fact, to remove invasive plants so that native vegetation that is supposed to be there can thrive. And goats are being a big help for that this year. What's the significance of Pipestone Creek? So our Pipestone Creek conservation lands um, are right next to Pipestone Creek. So that's where our land gets its name. Pipestone Creek itself flows through several counties and into Wetaskiwin County um, and into Coal Lake. And Coal Lake is not far from our land. Um, it's also an environmentally significant area, so uh, important for wildlife. The creek itself, as it flows throughout the landscape, uh, is a corridor for wildlife, as most creeks are. So it gives wildlife the ability to move a bit more easily through landscapes, especially ones that are very agricultural focused. It gives them a little bit more capacity to move around as they need to. Now, would the goats interfere with any of these wildlife? No, they shouldn't. I mean, goats, with that many goats, as you saw, there are quite a few goats there. Um, probably some of the wildlife might uh, take a break and, and maybe go across the creek for a while. Of course, the songbirds and smaller mammals are, are not bothered at all. And goats are not, um, they would not be interested in other wildlife in any way either. They are focused on eating plants and especially the weeds. So I just wondered, like, this was a, a trial for you guys? And if so, if it was a trial then and successful, how would you continue to do this? That's definitely our hope. Um, we know that goats can be successful 
part of a toolbox for managing weeds on lands, part of an integrated pest management approach. So we wanted to try this, and uh, the recommendation is that you need to tr do it for a few years in a row. Normally, we do a lot of weed control with staff or volunteers, and we're often using weed whackers or pulling weeds and using other forms of, of weed control as well. The thinking behind that is the more that you can stress a plant um, by taking out the part that's above ground, by cutting it off or for goats eating it, the more that you can stress the plant, the harder it is for that plant to grow back. And when you've stressed the weeds, that gives the native plants around it a chance to, to shoot back up. So it will take a few years, um, certainly. So this is, as you say, yes, our, our pilot year of it. We know that the method works, but it is our first year trying it. And we hope in uh, future years uh, that we will be able to secure enough funding to continue this program at Pipestone Creek and hopefully expand it to some of our other conservation lands that have a lot of weeds on them as well. Anything you want to add about this project? Sure. Um, one of the other reasons we chose Pipestone Creek as a location for trialing the goats is that uh, some of the weeds are in places that are harder for us to reach. So there are some pretty steep hills, but goats have no problem climbing up hills. And so it's a lot easier for them to go up and down those to, to get at those weeds. And the other reason is that we, uh, several years ago in 2012, had about 30,000 spruce trees planted there. And it's much easier for a goat to eat around a sapling that is now um, seven, eight years old than it is for us to move around them with weed clippers or a weed whacker and try not to, to hurt the sapling. So it was not only just a, a good pilot project, but it was a strategic place that we chose to try them so that uh, they could tackle these weeds that would be harder for us to get to. Well, we learned a, a fair bit about goats and how uh, they they certainly pick and choose what it is that they're eating. Why wouldn't you use a chemical spray or something like that instead? Sometimes we do use chemical spraying. It's part of an integrated pest management approach. Um, you can use manual weed control. So that means weed whacking or goats. That's a manual form. Or you might also consider it to be a biological form of weed control. There are a few insects available that work as biological weed control for certain species. Um, but because there are quite a few uh, weeds at Pipestone Creek, the cost to do a lot of removal by staff or volunteers or a contractor or to spray all of that, especially when it's close to saplings, um, we just felt that trying goats here would be an effective way. One of those, those tools in the integrated pest management toolbox but not necessarily something you want to take on yourselves. You don't want to maybe get your own herd. <laughs> no, and I don't know what Je Jeanette uh, said specifically about her goats, but it's, it's not like you can just get any goat. She basically has trained her goats for this job. And you can't just, just like I couldn't walk in and do your job um, without any training. You couldn't just get any old goat and get it to start weeding, eating the weeds. So these ones are, they, they know their job and they do it well. Hearing about the care with which ELT stewards their lands, you would be right to think that Pipestone Creek must be a beautiful site to visit. Our Pipestone Creek conservation lands are in Wetaskiwin County. It's 104 acres and it has a system of about 5.5 kilometers of trails that are relatively flat and a great place to go for a nature walk. Having been out there myself, I highly recommend a visit. Pack a picnic, bring a friend and enjoy an afternoon connecting with Alberta wildlands. 
Thanks very much to Jeanette Hall, owner of Bad Plant Management and Reclamation, and to Rebecca Ellis, Conservation Manager at Edmonton and Area Land Trust, for sharing your time with us. We'll have the links to the goats, to more information about Pipestone Creek, and of course, EALT in our show notes. And we'll also have links to our blog, where we post all kinds of stories about Edmonton's amazing nonprofits and donors. We are continuing to offer support through COVID-19 Rapid Response Fund and through all of our regular granting streams. So be sure to check out those links to find out how you can help or if you're eligible to receive funding. Well, friends, that brings us to the end of the show. Thanks so much for sharing your time with us. We hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, be sure to share it with your friends and family. Bake it into a loaf of sourdough and gift it to your dearest pal. Or you can just leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Those reviews help new listeners find us. And you can visit us on Facebook where you can share your thoughts and see some pictures. Thanks again for tuning in. We've been your hosts, Andrew Paul. And Elizabeth Bonkig. Until next time. Until next time. Not too bad. Bad. The Well Endowed Podcast is produced by Edmonton Community Foundation. And is an affiliate member of the Alberta Podcast Network. The show is edited by Lisa Pruden. You can visit our website at thewellendowedpodcast.com. Subscribe to us on iTunes. And follow us on Twitter at the ECF. Our theme music is by Octavo Productions. And as always, don't forget to visit Edmonton Community Foundation at ecfoundation.org. Well Endowed.